Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Story time. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at Burrow.com ACAST, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I had always been an avid hiker, and that weekend, I convinced a few friends to join me for a thrilling adventure deep into the woods. We had heard about a remote trail that promised stunning scenery and a sense of isolation, 
far from the typical crowds. It sounded perfect for a day of bonding and exploration. The weather was pleasant as we set off on our hiking trip. The trail was beautiful, winding its way through a dense forest. The leaves rustled underfoot as we made our way deeper into the woods. We chatted, laughed, and marveled at the tranquility that enveloped us. It was the perfect escape from the hustle and bustle of our everyday lives. As the day went on, we ventured further into the woods, following a path that seemed less traveled. The trees grew taller and denser, casting long shadows that danced around us. It was at this point that we began to feel a sense of unease, though we couldn't quite pinpoint the source of our discomfort. The trail led us to a small clearing, and that's when I saw them, a bunch of hanging dolls suspended from the trees. They were old, weathered, and eerie. Each one had a disheveled appearance, with their lifeless eyes staring vacantly into the distance. The dolls hung from strings that swayed gently in the breeze, creating an unsettling symphony of creaking. My heart raced, and a chill ran down my spine as I took in the surreal sight. I turned to my friends, who had also noticed the dolls, and their faces mirrored my own mixture of shock and fear. None of us spoke, as we were all struck by the eerie atmosphere that surrounded us. The dolls were in the middle of nowhere, hanging there without any apparent reason. There was no one else around, and the silence of the forest was almost deafening. My friends and I exchanged nervous glances, and it became clear that we needed to get out of there, and fast. Without a word, we turned and ran back the way we came, adrenaline surging through our veins. The dolls seemed to watch us as we fled, their twisted smiles haunting my thoughts. We didn't stop until we were back on the main trail, far from the unsettling clearing. While I was casually hiking in deep woods, I didn't see a thing, I had headphones on. Darkness surrounded me as I followed a trail through the woods, which was the shortest way. I'm six foot four inches and I have a silent step, so the raccoons, throwing a party in front of me, were as surprised by me as I was by them. Instead of scattering through the bushes, they made some room for me, squeaked, and barked silently until I passed ignoring me as if I were the intruder. It was like a game of poker, I tell you. On the same walk, I came across an owl swinging itself from a tree, picking the remains of a mouse, and leaving no trace behind. Still outside, well before I would reach the bottom of my steps, there was an abandoned building along the trail. I would usually find my way inside, but this time it felt really wrong, like someone was watching me for sure. So I stepped back and continued on my path. I didn't wear my headphones for about half an hour, so I was more attuned to the sounds of the wildlife. Oddly enough, I heard footsteps behind me, about 200 meters away. It was fall, so the rustling leaves and branches certainly helped indicate what I felt. As I looked back, I saw two guys turning around. I strayed off into the bushes and waited for them to pass. When they did, they looked really sweaty, dirty, and hunched up in their sweaters, like they had just seen something tragic. I was filled with dread and prepared for anything, but they passed by without even noticing me. I continued on my path to finally reach my destination and practice some drums. A few days later, I learned that someone had taken their own life in the abandoned house, 
And those guys were the friends who were with them. At least, that's the way the story played out. Very weird. Let me lay some cards on the table with a stupid question. Is anyone here familiar with the Sasquatch? Whether you believe or not, numerous people all over the world have claimed to have seen these creatures, or similar creatures, big, hairy humanoids living out in the woods and or or mountains. Just about every continent has its own variation or myth of these things. I became a researcher, or at least reading up on others' research, on account of the increase of sightings in my county or region. It started about a month ago, when our local rangers noticed a significant decrease in the deer and elk population, and an increase of their half-eaten bodies cluttering the region. Naturally we assumed it was bears, but if you're reading this right now, you can probably guess that it wasn't the case. Rangers and hunting parties started to plan a culling or hunt to deal with what we thought was at least one super-aggressive bear. Normally they wouldn't let mere hunters on the reserve, but in this case, several farmers found these carcasses on their fields. One was found in a barnyard. In retrospect, we should have noted that among the animal carcasses found, all of them had their faces eaten. We didn't think much of it. The local suspicions of a bear was seemingly confirmed when the four-year-old son of one of our local farmers spotted what he called the bear man climbing over a fence in his family's field. The man part we naturally dismissed, writing it off as the over-imaginative exaggerations of a child. As part of the hunting expedition, many have set up trail cams along the borders of the forests and fields, hoping to pinpoint the animal. Or should we say animals? There were different sightings, taking place as different locations at or around the same time. And despite our first glances, these animals were not bears. They had the face, hair and build you expect to see on a bear, but their actual body was, humanoid in shape when they stood upright. You can tell when it a bear walking on its hind legs, and what the camera caught was a clear human-like limb structure. As you can imagine there was a bit of a spectacle when these trail cam images were leaked to the town. At first, rangers only let the farmers and hunters know, but one of the farmers wanted some attention, so they tried to leak it to the media. Pretty soon the town was up in arms about it, some citizens were ecstatic, others afraid, others skeptical that Bigfoot has made this region home. Some wanted the hunting to cease, maybe to capitalize on the Sasquatch sightings that have been pouring in. The less enthusiastic and more rational insisted that the hunting continue, rationalizing that these were in fact bears and that camera tricks and perception issues were involved. Others thought the whistleblower must have photoshopped the images to play attention hog, and the rangers insisted that these were mere bears and it was voted up that they needed to be culled or driven away for the townspeople's safety. Before the following, there hasn't been any confirmed aggressive behavior from these things. One weekend, a family made their stay at their vacation home, a cabin, from their usual lives in the city. They came by every year during the summer, and certain holidays, other special occasions, to revisit their family living in the area. Not one day into their vacation, the mother took her two young children for a walk on a trail. She was warned to stay on the trail so as to avoid hunters. And it wasn't long before her little girl pointed and got her mother to look at the monkey people that have been following them. 
It was two and the mother insisted they keep their distance from this wild family. The little girl began yelling and waving at the animals, who were staring at them from several dozen yards away. Eventually one started advancing towards them, huffing and puffing and growling at them, and the mother hastily took her children back to the cabin. They left the next day, which is a good thing because the day after they left, their cabin was ransacked. Once again, blamed on by bears. Unfortunately that was the more passive of incidents. You'd probably roll your eyes when you hear the story of a kid waking up his parents in the middle of the night, crying about some kind of man with no face in the trees outside his window. I rolled my eyes too before I read the rest of the report. But what the report says is no laughing matter, there was in fact a man's dead body hanging in the trees in front of the child's window, and said face was chewed off. The body was identified as a local shopkeeper whose family lived just on the outskirts of town. He wasn't labeled missing, but his sister, whom he lived with, mentioned how he hasn't come home the night before, and she wanted to wait until morning before she pestered the police about it. Her brother's car was found shortly after pulled off the side of a road in a forested area on a highway, not a quarter mile away from their home. It was here we decided that this animal, or animals as it were, is in fact a danger to humans. They had to be hunted and they had to be killed. But that was easier said than done. You count how many times someone tried to hunt what they've said was Bigfoot, how many have been a success. These things have had to evaded hunters for centuries, and it's not like it was gonna stop that night. What they did find, was what they thought was an oddly placed beaver dam, placed in the deepest parts of the woods, where hikers, rangers and hunter alike generally don't go. There was a pungent smell in the air and when they investigated the oddity of mud and logs, there were at least 17 bodies, human and animal alike. All of them were half-eaten, but the constant being that the beasts that have been eating them have a special affinity for their faces. Only four bodies have been identified, missing persons from seven months back. The rest couldn't be accounted for but there have been a series of missing persons in the outer forests, that extend well beyond the county's borders. None of the creatures have been found, but we did find a series of large human-like footprints leading away from the territory and towards the town. That and dozens more of these dams. And upon further investigation, we could infer that these were not homes to these creatures, but more or less fridges to store their meals. Now comes the part where I give you a little folklore lesson. My research. As you may or may not know, with all these Sasquatch sighting recorded, some descriptions may vary. For the most part people claim to see what one would call a standard Bigfoot, just a big, humanoid man-like ape. But there are others that Sasquatch research categorizes types. Once in a while, people claim to see what they describe as looking more bear-like than man. The common name among Sasquatch enthusiasts of this type is the Gugway, a name that derives from the name Kukwus. It is often described in comparison to the Windigo, which should give you an idea what kind of animal we are dealing with. First Nations told legends of these with the description of man-eating ogre-like creatures. Not exactly the cute cuddly or friendly Bigfoot you see in cartoons or media, right? Well, as a matter of fact, these things are described as being separated from what most people would call Sasquatch, 
They are closer to being bear-like than ape-like. Among the names the natives had for them was the face-eater, and of course due to their appearance and facial structure the bear men. When people describe the Sasquatch, specifically their heads and faces, you get something closer to a human, gorilla or chimp-like face. The Gugway has a snout, according to witnesses to be more akin to baboon or mandrel. Some sightings have mistaken them for werewolves or dogmen. Besides appearances, these beings were different from what was considered a normal Bigfoot. When they describe Sasquatches, they describe creatures that are rarely hostile, mostly docile, omnivores that generally keep to themselves from humans. Albeit, they are still territorial. These things? were famous for their affinity of eating flesh, violent temperament and will actively hunt humans. And like the Sasquatch, sightings of these things have increased in recent years, with most people passing them off as one and the same. In the farther north of the America or Canadian or Alaskan regions, there are legends there too. There, they are referred to as the Janosqua, and again, often overlapped with the myth of the Wendigo. They describe how these things are nocturnal, how they'd live underground, how they were not only cunning hunters, but efficient survivors. They got the nickname the Stone Giants by adorning their fur with mud and rocks, forming makeshift armor on them. My further research from a number of sources, tells me that while they are more often than not solitary hunters, they do operate as family groups and rarely if ever hunt together. How they function is hardly any more pleasant than what is previously described. Some of my sources tell of how these creatures practice cannibalism to their dead or when they are unsuccessful in their hunting, incest in their own groups, how in colder weather they wear the hide of their kills, and some even describe how they have a tribe-like mentality. This begs the question of just how intelligent they really are. One could almost call them evil, insofar as you can call a species of animal evil. Conclusions and Concerns Which brings us back to here. As with the rise of Sasquatch sightings around the world, there has also been a rise of sightings of the Gugway or Janosqua. And I have more than enough of reason to believe that we are getting a special rise of these creatures in my hometown. Four days ago, schools were closed because large dark shapes could be seen walking or standing near the forested areas just off the school grounds, separated only by a small field and a chain-linked fence. When the kids left the schools, there were four of them walking standing by and watching the elementary school, and have been specifically observing the buses before disappearing back into the trees. One of the local farming families left town in a hurry last weekend, when a dog ran into a barn to confront an intruder. The dog never went out and when the farmer investigated, he almost immediately ran out, got his family into the car and fled their property without so much as a word to the confused neighbors. Days later, said neighbors notices a thick pungent smell, muskier than anything that usually comes out of a barn. It was as if it was stuffed with dead and decaying bodies. The dog's remains were later found just off one of the neighbor's property, when the animals on his own farm started acting up on a disturbance. All that remained of the dog was a spine, ribs and mandible. Two days ago, a gas station just out of town was raided and ransacked, all its snacks were half-eaten and discarded. The attendant said he hid in a garage when he saw six Sasquatch walking onto the scene while he was about to close up. 
He described them as carrying the remains of a cat, and a raccoon. Obviously it was not enough to satisfy their hunger, and the food at the gas station obviously wasn't helping. The only snacks that were not thrown away was the meat products, the jerky, and the hot dogs but that was about it. One became frustrated and they attacked the smallest in their group, and dragged its remains away. The attendant should count himself lucky that the smell of gasoline and motor oil must have covered his scent. Around the same time that very night, an couple who lived just outside of town, awoke to the sight of two of them scavenging their garbage, when one of the creatures noticed the couple through the window. As these animals began to pound on the doors and windows, the residents had to make a daring attempt out the back door. They had to lure the beasts back after them and run around the other side of the house to their jeep and drive to the police station. Getting the police to believe them wasn't a problem considering the increase of sightings, but by the time they got there, the creatures were nowhere to be found. What they did find was what was left of the boyfriend's elderly mother who was in the couple's care. In their panic, they must have forgotten her, as they have forgotten to close the back door. After these incidents, the town was afraid. Half of them wanted to leave this town for a safer place. It was decided that the hunts continue in order to deal with the threat at hand, with the aid of the police and park rangers. Some idiots thought that it was best to leave them alone and for the town to continue to capitalize off the Bigfoot sightings. So the other night, about 60 hunters went into the woods, determined to put an end to the threat. There is 200 miles of unexplored forest in our parks, and places that the previous hunting expeditions never reached. During that night, the forests were filled with howls, not matching the kind normally heard from wolves and coyotes and the occasional gunshot. As far as any success rate goes, only 28 hunters walked out of the woods the next morning, the rest unaccounted for. There has been no confirmed kills among these things, nor were the bodies found of the missing hunters. Around the same time, the town was being evacuated. Only a select few families stayed behind. Unfortunately a few roads were blocked by large boulders, and rocks, a classic calling card of a Sasquatch, their way of setting the borders of their territory. Who is to say, the Gugway, or the Genosuka or whatever you want to call them is any different in that regard. A few of the people blocked off noted dark shapes observing them from the trees. Many are expecting these logs, or boulders to be removed by the police in order to continue evacuation, but there's a few concerns that doing so could lead to a death trap with those things watching from the woods. Now, we are considering calling in the National Guard for interference, but I have concerns of my own. It's not like they wouldn't have any reason not to believe us with the evidence we collected. Sure they could help with the evacuation, maybe try to help in the extermination, but there lies the problem. I'm not military artillery expert, but if the stories of the Genoswika armor are true, and considering the apparent failures of the hunter's rifles, their ammo should fare better right? I guess it depends on what these creatures are coating their fur with, but whatever it is was able to stand the bullets of hunting rifles. The stone giants got their name for their armor and how it made them resilient. If those stories are true, the easiest solution is to start a fire, bring in explosives, etc. This would at best start forest fires, and at worst turn our county into a war zone. 
And considering how bold these creatures are in sneaking near or into the town, I can't help but think of the worst case scenario. Such as once again taking into account the increase of Sasquatch sightings, I don't believe it to be a coincidence that these coincide with environmental changes, deforestation, pollution, natural or man-made climate change, etc. Last year, there was a chemical plant built for the next town, on the other side of the forest. Besides this requiring a small amount of deforestation, months before this whole mess started there was a controversy of them dumping their waste in the unexplored regions of the woods, requiring more human interference to salvage what they can. But alas the immediate environment was considered too polluted for any animal to survive off the land there. What is an animal to do when their environment is destroyed? Naturally they migrate, search for a more hospitable environment. Especially one with more food. And unfortunately, humans have always been on their menu. I believe that the increase of sightings in my county is a prelude of what's to come considering that climate change isn't gonna stop in the foreseeable future. And with more and more sightings of Sasquatch-like creatures, I fear the absolute worst-case scenario that cities will possibly be seen as a new food source. At the very least, my county may be the first of many incidents. You wanna know what's ironic? The only bears we've seen in this whole ordeal, were among the animal carcasses found with their faces eaten. I was standing about 10 feet down in the forest around a deep ravine, not really too far from the house, but it was right next to a patch of woods going further south into the national forest. The narrow patch of woods then stretched northward. Leaves were on the ground, and that was the first thing that caught my attention, the sound of something walking through the leaves. It was a measured, long tread, and I could tell. I started really looking around, trying to see what was making these sounds. I was much braver back then. Then, over on the other side of the ravine, close to the bottom but definitely walking uphill, I saw it for all of about three seconds. It seemed longer at the time, and it was about 50 to 100 yards away. It was very large, and I could see that it was hairy. I could see the ground between its moving legs and some vague image of arms, but not the head. Some forest branches obscured my view of the very top part of the body. I could tell it was walking upright uphill, and it was not a bear. It was standing with a purpose on the hill on the other side, and it quickly went out of sight. Now, I know I wasn't thinking clearly because I decided to try to get a better look at it. So, I ran as quickly as I could around the rim of the ravine, starting from our original front yard, which is not the best playground, I can tell you. Anyway, it didn't take me long to reach the other side and move down into the woods slightly to look around and see if I could find it again. However, I did not see it again. I was there for only a minute or so when it suddenly occurred to me that I didn't hear anything anymore, no sounds, no birds, nothing. Fear like I had never known before hit me, and I went running, practically screaming back to the house. I told my mother what I had seen, and she, of course, did not believe me. My mother, though, told me to never tell anyone else the story. For a long time, I didn't tell a soul except for family members, but, of course, they didn't believe me. It didn't help that only one or two people since then truly believed that I saw a Bigfoot. 
Since then, I have had lots of trouble going out alone in the woods. While no one actually calls you a liar, they look skeptical, and you can tell they either think you've been drinking or drugging or saw a bear. I did not see anything, but I did hear a lot. While on a boat fishing with two friends, we were along the shoreline, joking around and trying to catch something when we heard a very large animal wrestling in the woods. The animal and object were not far from us, but we could not see them due to the dense vegetation and the low light conditions. The creature did sound very large, and the thrashing of the vegetation became louder. The three of us in the boat began to speculate about what we were hearing, and none of us were worried until we heard a shrill from this animal. It can only be described as very loud, bone chilling, and it did indeed strike fear into all of us. We began to pull our lines and started the boat ASAP to leave the area. The animal began to run away from our location, and I think the direction was southeast, if I am correct. We could still hear the animal moving through the dense vegetation at a fast pace with no apparent problem. The animal continued to shrill on occasion, stopping approximately every 200 yards or so. The final shrill was heard approximately one quarter to half a mile away through dense woods and vegetation, up a hill. The time frame in which this took place was so fast that we were unable to think of an animal that could sound so large, have such a deep shrill, and move so fast. The shrill was unlike any other animal I've ever heard, and neither were the two other people I was with. The shrill was later heard by me approximately two years later while I was on my way home from work. I was listening to Art Bell, and Bigfoot was the topic. Somebody had an audio of a Bigfoot, and when the audio was played, I again became afraid, speechless, and the hair on my neck stood up, and my eyes teared up. When I was about 13 years old, I went trout fishing with my mother and aunt on the White River in Arkansas. We were staying at a motel in Bull Shoals. One morning, we drove to a remote area of the river to fish via an unknown dirt road. We stopped to fish a bend of the river. On the opposite side of the river, which was to the west, there was a tall stone bluff with a slight overhang from erosion. On the east side, there was flatter land with 12 to 20 foot thin scrub trees about 20 to 30 feet from the water, as the river was low. While my mother and aunt were fishing off the bank, I decided to try my luck further up the river, about 300 yards away and just out of sight from my mother. While I was fishing along the bank, I began to hear rustling sounds in the trees and shrubs behind me. I looked in the direction of the noise and could see the tops of these thin trees moving as if something were walking through them and pushing them to the side. Due to the thickness of the vegetation, I couldn't see what was actually moving the trees. I stood and observed this activity for two to three minutes. I began hearing grunting type sounds that were very deep and substantial. These sounds were similar but different from the grunt sounds a bull would make. The movement of the trees began to appear as if something were shaking the trees at this point, and instead of moving through them, it seemed that whatever was making the noises was only about 10 feet inside the brush. Yet, I couldn't see what it was. Feeling nervous, I noticed that whatever was in the brush seemed to move with me step for step as I walked. The movement in the trees became more forceful, 
with the sounds of large branches breaking as it moved. When I got within sight of my mom, which was about 50 yards away, all activities stopped. I informed my mother that there was something in the brush following me, but of course, she shrugged it off. Within a few moments, we decided to leave as we were not catching any fish. The anticipation was palpable as I finalized the purchase of my new hunting property deep in the rugged Texas wilderness. The land was untamed, teeming with game, and a thrill for any hunter like me. Little did I know that this new acquisition would lead to a horrifying encounter that would haunt me for the rest of my days. I quickly set up trail cameras throughout the dense forest, eager to get a sense of the wildlife on my new land. The first few weeks were uneventful, capturing images of deer, raccoons, and the occasional bear. But one crisp autumn morning, as I checked the latest trail camera photos, my excitement turned to unease. There, amidst the ordinary animal captures, was a picture that sent chills down my spine. It was a dark, massive figure, covered in fur, with a human-like face, staring with its gray, dead eyes, directly into the camera. It was unmistakable, a Sasquatch. The legendary creature that had been whispered about in hushed tones by hunters and locals for generations. My heart pounded as I examined the photo over and over. Surely it was some weirdo in a costume. Perhaps an inbred black bear? I kept making excuses as to what it was in order to comfort myself. I knew the consequences of sharing this with anyone, I'd be ridiculed, deemed a madman, obviously no one would believe me. So naturally, the need to prove what I had seen gnawed at me. Determined to find answers, I decided to venture into the woods with my loyal hunting dog, Max, by my side. The day was overcast, the forest eerily silent as Max and I hiked deeper into the woods. The anticipation weighed heavily on me. As excited as I may have been, I was terrified. Deep down though, I figured I probably wouldn't even encounter it. Hours passed, and the sun began its descent. Just as I had given up hope, we heard it, a low, guttural growl, resonating through the trees. My hand instinctively went to the rifle slung over my shoulder. I signaled for Max to stay close, but the faithful dog growled, his hackles raised. Suddenly, it emerged from the shadows, that familiar massive dark figure, covered in matted, black fur, with piercing eyes that held a deep, primal intelligence. It was said Sasquatch and it had found us. Fear gripped me hard, and my heart raced as I raised my rifle, not intending to harm the creature but only to ward it off. The Sasquatch, with a speed that defied its size, lunged forward, its massive arms closing around Max. My loyal dog let out a heart-wrenching yelp as the creature's grip tightened. I fired my rifle, but missed completely as the beast flew about the thick woods, carrying my buddy, Max, in its filthy grip. The world seemed to slow down, and I watched in abject horror as Max was being torn apart by the monstrous beast. The Sasquatch's eyes bore into mine, an intelligence in them that sent a shiver down my spine. With Max's lifeless body cradled in its arms, the Sasquatch turned and vanished back into the forest, leaving behind a shake and an anguished hunter. I was left in the darkening woods, 
the weight of guilt and grief pressing down on me. I wanted to cry, but yet I was emotionless. I'd sought proof, but the cost was higher than I could have ever imagined. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. As I made my way back to my cabin, the forest's once familiar beauty now held a sinister aura. The Sasquatch was no longer a legend, it was a brutal reality that had torn my world apart, and I would forever be haunted by the memory of that fateful encounter. The chilling scream of the Sasquatch echoed in my ears, a reminder that the line between myth and reality had blurred, and the forest held secrets more terrifying than I had ever imagined. Hi, I'm contacting you along with a few other men of God as I saw something in the night sky with my own two eyes. I'm a reformed Christian, my faith is in Christ Jesus alone, and I believe in the inerrant word of God. I've been researching what I saw since it happened and I cannot with absolute certainty determine what it was or its meaning. It's very important to me to know how to proceed from here and I'm contacting you to see if you have any information or wisdom about this and what I should do with it. I live in Slave Lake, Alberta, Canada and there were many, many fires burning during this time. I'm now going to give you the details below. I was still awake late on the evening of August 13, 2023, and I remembered that the Perseid meteor shower was happening on August 12 as I was still up, I thought that I'd go outside onto my deck and observe the sky and maybe catch a glimpse of the meteor shower. It was a clear, calm night with no wind. It was a warm night and the night sky was crystal clear. I saw a couple of satellites go by very high in the sky, they were the size of pin dots. I was initially looking south. I then turned my eyes to look northwest and I could see the Big Dipper. I then looked west and saw an orangey silver edged glowing sphere of light that was extremely brightly lit and the colors were moving and swirling within it. I thought to myself that looks weird? As I was puzzled. As it got closer to my house and to where I was on the deck, it continued traveling on a straight course, 
not turning or varying its height. It made no sound. It came from the western sky and went east. As it came closer it definitely appeared to be the likeness of a bird. A large fiery orange bird. This bird was mainly orange, a fiery orange with silvery white flickering along the edges of its entire body and wings, and the colors we were constantly undulating within it, its body and entire being appeared to be statically, electrically charged. The orange and bright electric white would move and undulate and the colors would move and vary as well. It was very bright and very obviously a bird type of thing or being. It had a medium long neck and I could see it turn its head to look down to its left towards the street and neighbors below it. It would alternate from looking straight ahead to looking down to its left. It was going east. It appeared to be looking at the street below, along my front yard, and neighbors along both sides of my street. It did not seem that it saw me, nor did it look at me or towards me. Its neck glowed a purple-gray and its eyes lit up and looked electric blue or white. It never flapped its wings yet it was able to maintain the same speed and height or altitude. That I had to approximate how high up it was, I would say about one kilometer. It appeared to be between two to three inches wide in the sky if I were to hold up my arm, extend my hand out, and use my index finger and thumb to measure it in the sky. Throughout this time, I was struggling to comprehend what I was seeing. I watched it and it continued going east until I lost sight of it. This happened on August 13, 2023, from 11.55 p.m. to August 14, 12.04 a.m. 2023. I swear what I've shared is true. I'm sure you're wondering about my character as a person, I can assure you I'm not some nut looking for attention. I'm a non-smoker, non-drinker and have never done drugs, and am not taking any prescription medications. I'm of sound mind and spirit. I'm sending this to you and I'm asking you if you can advise me as to what I saw and what do I do with this observation? I was on a late night hike in a local forest known for coyotes ganging up on humans. It was a full moon and we were chilling out smoking underneath the moon. I'm on the phone talking to my grandpa and he's telling me he's lighting a fat one up for me and I hear this rustling in the brush next to me. I turn around and the guys with me start screaming bloody murder. I turn around to see a fox yelling and running past them as the men are running towards the fox and scaring themselves and the fox even more. I'm Roxanne, 41 years old and currently living in Napa County. I want to share a story from 1962 when I was just 6 years old, living in San Francisco with my mother and my 9-year-old sister, Denise. We were playing in our backyard, which was part of a big, old Dutch colonial house, a two-story beauty in San Francisco. My mother hailed from England and had that lovely English accent. My sister and I were in the backyard and I had a favorite tree I loved to climb. There was a perfect groove where I would sit and lose myself in my thoughts, sometimes even talking to my tree, which I'd affectionately named. So, there I was, up in my tree, swinging from its branches while my sister, the lady of the family, picked flowers. I lost track of her activities as I was engrossed in my tree climbing adventure. Our mother's voice came faintly from the patio, calling out, Roxanne, Denise, dinner time. 
Our house was enormous, and it was challenging to hear her from the backyard. I could barely make out her call, so I decided to rush for the back door, shouting, I'll get Denise. I ran back to find Denise to let her know it was almost dinner time, but she was nowhere in the backyard. I figured she might be up to something mischievous, even though we weren't supposed to venture beyond the fence, as there was an empty lot next door. Our house was at a kind of kitty corner, with the neighboring house next door and an empty lot filled with grass beside it. As I hopped up onto the fence, balancing on a 2x4 and straining to see over, I scanned the empty lot, wondering where Denise had gone. What I witnessed next horrified me. There she was, lying down, and two men were with her. One of the men knelt, while my sister's head hung limply in his lap. She seemed unconscious, unresponsive. The other man was bent over her with a syringe, poised to inject her. I stood there in stunned silence, initially unable to believe my eyes, especially because of how strangely they were dressed. These men weren't wearing black jackets, they had on black capes and Zorro-style hats. It wasn't until I grew older that I realized the resemblance to Zorro. As the man prepared to give her the injection, I screamed my sister's name as loudly as I could. Panicking, I yelled, leave my sister alone, and broke into tears. In my fright, I slipped off the bench, getting a million splinters in my palm, which I hardly felt at the time. I bolted towards the house to get my mother, but I stumbled and fell into the brick flower bed we had. My instinct screamed at me to save my sister, there was no time to fetch my mother. I hopped back onto the fence, a height I had never managed before, but to my bewilderment, the men had vanished. Denise was waking up, and I asked her what had happened, who those men were and why they were doing this to her. I was freaking out, being only six years old. Her response was confusing, she seemed unaware of the incident. She asked me what was wrong, why I looked so scared, and why I was so pale. I tried to explain what had transpired, but she dismissed it, saying, oh, brother. She even offered to come over the fence with me, still groggy and looking like she had just woken up. I went back into the house and decided not to tell my mother, as I was sure it would terrify her. Instead, I confided in my father. In 1993, my friends and I were heading out to a local bar one night. There were four of us in the car, cruising down a road surrounded by dense woods. As we drove, something caught our attention, what we initially believed to be a helicopter flashing its lights on the ground. We assumed it was involved in some police operation, perhaps searching for a suspect who had broken into a house or a potential drug dealer. We found ourselves stopped at a traffic light, just sitting in the car, watching this lengthy beam of light. We speculated that the police must have caught someone, as the light abruptly stopped at one point and then continued on, tracing through various lights further down the road. We thought they might try to stop us from getting to our destination. Then, the light suddenly stopped and pointed down at the ground. We all agreed, they got him. The light switched off, and the next thing we knew, we were at another traffic light, still observing this so-called police helicopter. Well, we thought it was a police helicopter at the time, although most of us are skeptical now. It couldn't have been one because, 
When it decided to leave, it vanished in an instant. It was gone within 10 seconds flat, and we couldn't even keep track of it. When we finally reached the club we were headed to, we had only been inside for about 20 minutes when a friend tapped me on the shoulder and said, look. We all turned to see four men walking in, dressed in black suits. Now, this was unusual because we hadn't started drinking yet, and it was odd to see four guys in black suits entering a nightclub. What made it even weirder was that they were wearing sunglasses, and you just don't walk into a club with sunglasses on at night, right? It's usually for safety, to avoid tripping over things or injuring yourself. However, they complied when the bouncer asked them to remove their sunglasses. As they took off their shades, we noticed their eyes. They were kind of dark, with a peculiar grayish hue, and it felt like their eyes were watching our every move. They maintained their distance, consistently standing about 10 or 5 feet away from us as we moved around the bar. About those eyes, I would describe them as having a strange grayish color with black in the cataract part and a light gray or blue-gray tone. These four guys were all about the same height, dressed the same, and they even had those eerie, identical eyes. In 1995, something incredibly strange happened to me, although the man involved never gave me his name. It all started one night after I had finished work. I found myself stopped at a red traffic light, and then, the next thing I knew, I was 20 miles away, and an hour had passed. At that time, I had no knowledge of missing time or anything of the sort, so I simply brushed it off as some bizarre occurrence and didn't think much of it. About a week later, I was out and had pulled into a gas station to refuel. Once again, it was nighttime. I recall a very tall man, impeccably dressed in a black suit, approaching me. He told me that I was going to give him a ride. Naturally, I hesitated and said, no, why don't you ask someone else for a ride? But he was insistent and declared, no, you're going to give me a ride. In a rush of anxiety, I capped the gas tank and hurried around to the driver's side of my car. I thought the passenger side was locked, but when I got into the car, I discovered he had somehow entered the car already. He forcibly pulled me in and threatened to kill me if I kept screaming. He made it clear he only wanted me to drive him around. He kept repeating, nothing has happened to you. You won't remember anything. Nothing happened to you. As I drove, I came to a stop sign. And he looked at me and said, I know what you're trying to do, and if the police pull us over, I will immediately kill you. The constant refrain was, nothing happened to you. Nothing happened to you. You'll never tell anybody that anything happened. We eventually ended up in the middle of nowhere, and I was still trembling with fear. He got out of the car, and when I looked at him, it was as if his eyes weren't there. He simply said, leave now because I don't want to hurt you. I wasted no time in driving away, and as I did, I began to cry uncontrollably. After escaping from that horrifying encounter, I returned to town and drove around until I found a police officer. They told me that the police had already been looking for me because the clerk at the liquor store had seen the man get into my car and heard me scream. They were searching for me, my car, and a man in a black suit who had climbed into my car. However, they never found him, and he disappeared without a trace. 
Since then, I've had several incidents that have left me too terrified to drive at night anymore. On those occasions, a black car would pull up behind me, flashing its lights, seemingly trying to get me to pull over. My only thought was to get home as quickly as possible, and I've avoided driving at night ever since. I have not thought of this in a while but recently saw a show talking about the Mothman that triggered my memory of an encounter I had in 2016. It was late September in Chester, West Virginia, Hancock County, early in the morning but daylight. As I walked across town I approached one of the churches in the center of town. This church has a huge cross on the top of the roof. I noticed something big and black on top of that cross. As I got closer I could not keep my eyes off of it as I was trying to see what it was. My curiosity was piqued as I reached the church and could get the best view. This thing was at least 5 feet tall, all black, and crouched down the horizontal beam of the cross. It looked almost like a bird but huge. I was more curious than I was scared and wanted to get a better view or see what it would do. So I began to shout out to it. Just as it turned, its head looked down at me, and then whoosh it took flight. I could then see that it did indeed have wings that must have had a very wide total span as it flew off into the direction of the bridge across town where I could no longer see it. I was amazed. My heart was pounding as I thought to myself was that a mothman? I wish I had captured a picture or video for proof but in the moment I honestly was just so in awe I didn't even think of it until later. But I have read similar reports of sightings all throughout the Ohio Valley from Ohio to Pennsylvania and down to Kentucky. I just wanted to put this out there so that someone else like me doesn't think they are crazy and that I've seen it too. I'm Gina, and I want to share my chilling encounter with a strange man in black, which I recounted on the 1997 Coast to Coast radio show during an episode featuring Jim Keith. This unsettling incident took place back in 1991, when I was residing in the Midtown area of Sacramento. At the time, I was working on setting up a support group for people who had experienced abductions. It was early in the morning, and my husband had already left for work. I was lying in bed in a sort of twilight consciousness. Suddenly, an overwhelming paralysis came over me, and from the corner of my eye, I saw him, a tall, whitish-gray man with strikingly red, painted lips. He was dressed in an all-black suit that was impeccably dark, topped with an exceptionally tall black hat, resembling a cowboy hat. I couldn't recall any details about his eyes. He proceeded to sit down in the rocking chair near my bed and fixate his gaze upon me. With a sinister grin, his arm extended and transformed into an eerie clown-like face. He said, this is who I am. I wasn't about to succumb to fear. Defiance surged through me as I attempted to muster the willpower to escape this dream, even though, in my mind, I didn't believe it was a dream at all. I mustered up my composure and sternly told him get out of my room. Get out of my room. You don't belong here, and I never want you to return. In an instant, his outstretched arm snapped back into its normal form, and the strange face vanished. He fixed his gaze on me once more and said, you will never know, and you will never tell. I reiterated my demand for him to leave my room, 
and he rose before me, spinning counterclockwise and disappearing into my hardwood floor, as if he'd never been there at all. The encounter left me shaken and bewildered, and it's an experience that has stayed with me to this day. I was a counselor at a high school in Las Vegas, Nevada several years ago. One day the principal brought two men in three-piece suits and a student to my office and asked me to register him. I will leave out some details, but as I looked at the student, I saw that the pupils of his eyes were like cat eyes. Other than that he was normal looking. The two men looked around my office and appeared to not notice my reaction. I asked the boy his name and he gave me a first name. I began filling out the forms and one of the men said they would have to come back because they were late. They left and I heard no more about it. I told the principal that the registration had not been completed, and he merely nodded and there was no more discussion. I've often thought about it. S. That was the extent of the comment. I later asked the witness if they would elaborate on the incident. The strange thing is that it was never spoken of and I didn't mention it to anyone at school, but did tell my family. I had been following information at the time about supposed aliens at Area 51 and just assumed that they were testing responses to the boy's eyes. He wouldn't have lasted a minute in a regular class, and I'm not sure why I didn't say something to the men about that. As I said, they just stood and looked around the office not appearing to notice my response. Looking at him, the boy, gave me a little shock but I assumed they were from the base testing reactions. I thought later that this time, he could probably wear contact lenses that would disguise his eyes. As I said, I was reading and following information at that time about aliens and probably took it more in stride than someone might have. I've read about others who've had experiences and were surprised that they just never mentioned or discussed it again. As a counselor, I also was trying not to hurt him by commenting on his eyes. I'm Greg Aldrich, and I want to share a rather unsettling encounter I had with some mysterious men dressed in black suits. This incident occurred several years ago when I was working as a nurse down in Salt Lake City. I called into the 1997 Coast to Coast radio show, where Jim Keith was the guest, to recount this baffling experience. One weekend, a patient came into the hospital, and from the moment I saw him, I had a hunch that he was somehow connected to the military. He had the classic short cropped hair and an overall military appearance. It turned out that he was employed at the Dugway Proving Ground. He had sustained a broken leg while working on something there, but no matter how much I probed and questioned, I couldn't get any additional information out of him. As the time came for the patient to be transferred, two rather intimidating individuals arrived. They weren't wearing sunglasses, but they did sport black suits, and they gave off an aura of intimidation. One might have assumed they were part of the army corpsmen, given their appearance, but there was something about them that felt incredibly strange. What struck me as odd was that they refused to disclose where they were taking the patient. In a typical hospital transfer, we would receive copies of the patient's records to accompany them. However, these two individuals insisted on not leaving the nurse's ward with the patient. They kept him on a gurney until they had a private conversation with my nursing manager. She took them aside, and shortly afterward, 
She handed over the patient's records to them. What was truly peculiar was that the patient seemed to vanish without a trace. He was just gone, as if he had never been there. Nobody at the hospital had any record of him ever being a patient, and the entire situation left me feeling utterly bewildered. For the past two years, me and my spouse have both been hearing each other calling our names. This only happens when one of us is out of the house for an extended period, like a vacation or a few days travel without the other person. At first, I was very skeptical. He said he heard my voice shouting from around the kitchen for help, and he was in the bedroom, so he didn't want to go check knowing I was not even in the same state. I pretty much laughed it off thinking it was a trick of the ear until it happened to me. He was gone for about three days, I was in the kitchen, and heard baby. Help me. Clear as day in his voice. I was the same way, not checking whatever that was. It recurred many times after that. Just his voice shouting while he was off on a trip. It went away after a few months, but last month I was standing in the kitchen again, and heard my own voice from the bedroom calling my cats. Here kitty cat like it was mimicking me to try to get my cats to come into the room. My dogs started freaking out, and looked into the hallway with fear. I got goosebumps and have been trying my best to ignore it. Help me please. What is this, and why? What do you think it achieves from doing this? My grandmother passed away in a horrific way, she was neglected by her caregiver, the person she loved the most. He was physically present but was not unkind to her in her last months, he was just a lazy, ignorant, and unpleasant individual. Because of him, I stopped visiting. He was not only my half-brother but had been an abuser throughout my life. Then, something strange happened. I heard my grandmother's voice telling me that my aunt was mean and a traitor, trying to claim half of her house. We had discussions about it, not confrontational but more like back and forth conversations, as I defended my aunt, believing she wasn't like that. However, it turned out my aunt was indeed expecting to receive half of the house. This left me puzzled, wondering about the true nature of the situation. I'm a female and this story takes place during my junior year of high school at the time and had a group of friends that I'd hang around with, but I had a really close friend that we will call Amy. Amy and I were very close and even hung out when our friend group was not around. During school lunch I was hanging out with my group when a guy in my group who we will call Bob introduced us to a guy who we will call Mason, he was short and had glasses, basically a freshman. Me and my friends gladly accepted him into our group thinking nothing bad would happen, I mean, what harm can one person do? Well things started off tame with, he'd make somewhat sexual jokes to me and Violet which we just awkwardly laughed off, but things escalated to the point where we purposefully dead named my friend, Amy which made her really mad. She tried to not interact with him but everyone apparently saw him as a funny guy and kept him around. One day, Mason made a sexual joke towards Violet while she was eating a banana. I'm sure you can guess what the joke was. Long story short, we reported him to the principal and Amy had a five feet apart order on the guy. We thought we were safe, 
after all he was leaving us alone and the most he would do is give us death glares. Which of course I found strange but he really wasn't doing any harm. About a week later I was called down to the office. I was nervous I mean, I didn't think I did anything wrong, when I got to the office there was Mason, Amy, our school's officer, and a weird journal. I was really confused until I was told to sit down and the principal slid the journal over to me. Apparently he had a hit list for me, Amy, and a bunch of other kids who had apparently wronged him. The creepiest thing is, he brought a gun to school which is why the school's officer was there, apparently Mason was in math class whenever he tried to pull his gun out completely, luckily someone saw him pulling it out and alerted the teacher. Ever since then, he has been leaving me alone, me and my friend group unfortunately grew apart but. This story still makes me feel scared. I was in New Orleans for a work conference. I was early for a dinner so I was seated at a little table next to the piano for a cocktail before my party came. This man was at the adjacent table and we started talking. Very benign, seemed fine. The waitress came up to him and sternly said, I know you want to keep talking to this young lady but if I don't seat you now you will lose your table. He left and was seated. The waitress came back to me and told me that the man paid for my drink. That's fine I said tell him, thank you. Minutes later a waiter came over and told me that he'd like for me to join him since he's dining alone. I told him to tell him, thank you, but I'm waiting for my party. I'm seated with my group and his table is right next to ours and he is staring, the entire time while he is eating. It was unnerving. But like okay, maybe he thought I was an escort? I don't know. The rest of my party noticed too. And well after he was done eating he stayed at the table and continued to watch me. Fast forward to the next night, I go meet some friends at a hotel bar to listen to live music. Mind you this is in a completely separate part of town. New Orleans is huge. I go to the bar to grab a drink and this man is at the bar. Again, staring at me with almost a disdain. I've had maybe three other occurrences in my life where I felt this deep unsettling feeling. Was he following me? What are the odds we would be in the same place? I had a terrible dream last night that I was stuck in an elevator with this man, but I didn't know it was him, and he found where I lived and tried to break in. It felt like a psychic attack. A deep unnerving violating feeling. I've dealt with plenty of creeps, but this was different. This happened not too long ago, although not too crazy definitely had me freaking out after it occurred. Probably did not help that I frequent this sub often. I had just moved to a new apartment building, and it was my first time living alone. It was actually my first day, and I had moved my stuff in and headed to school, and was coming home for the evening. My parking is in an underground basement, which was scary as is for the first few days, so I would always leave my car and book it to the elevator so I could get the F out. As I stood waiting, it was taking quite a while for the elevator to come down and I could hear it beeping on the different floors it was stopping at. Once it finally arrived, the doors opened and there was a tall guy that was clearly disheveled or on something. The minute I made eye contact with him my senses went off and I got the most uneasy feeling. I hesitated, 
as I was on the last floor so whenever someone was in the elevator, they were always getting out and I waited for him to do the same. Instead he just stood there staring at me and I managed to blurt out, are you going up? He mumbled some sort of yeah. Alarm bells were going off but I thought maybe I was overthinking so I awkwardly walked in and stood against the wall as far as I could from him. I asked him what floor as there was no floor selected and he stuttered between numbers, and happened to say the same floor I was getting off on which scared me even more. I tried to not panic but as soon as I entered, I tried to keep my gaze down but he was just facing and starting at me with the most uncomfortable look in his eyes. The minute the elevator started going up, he started to shuffle and was moving towards me when it ended up stopping on the first floor on the lobby. I was in the left corner near the doors, and he was basically right in front of the door, stepping towards me when the doors opened. I was honestly freaking the actual hell out and as soon as the doors slid open, I scooched out and went straight out the doors onto the main street. I stood there for a few minutes with my heart pounding because of how scared I was and I remember him staring at me confused for a minute, and then he stayed back in the elevator as the doors closed. I remember there were two guys standing by in the lobby who witnessed the whole thing, and I nervously laughed that I was just creeped out by a guy in the elevator. I believe they were just doordashers so they just stared at me and were like okay. Lamau. I ended up taking the stairs up and was scared out of my mind. I was praying he was just someone's guest, hence why he was so confused and weird. My dad came to visit me the very next day and I was telling him how badly that guy freaked me out and that same night, we ran into him again. He was waiting for the elevator and the minute I saw him I told my dad and made him take the stairs with me again. Thank God I haven't seen him again so I'm really hoping he was a guest but if I ever see an elevator with just one dude in it, I do not take the risk lol. May have just been me overthinking but something was deaf not right with him.